Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Already in the Christmas spirit, but still sounding a little bit more like Boris Karlov. It's episode 191 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, still stricken with whatever this is that I have, this sickness. I don't know if it's a sinus thing or what's going on, but still going to be powering through it this week and a lot to get to. But as far as interviews go, we're going to be talking to Patrick Fischler, who plays Smoothie on Happy, which is going to be coming on Sci-Fi next week. And guys, let me tell you. One of the most unique shows that's not just on television right now, one of the most unique shows I've ever seen. If you haven't read the comic yet, this is your chance to pick it up before you see the show. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Wait till you hear all the great stuff that Patrick has to say about the show. Plus, there's so much geek tainment to get through this week. We're going to be talking about the Avengers Infinity War trailer. I know that we'll do that in Nerd News. But, you know, Crisis on Earth X came out, and then there's Runaways. I'll get to all of that and so much more. But first... It's time to talk some comics. What we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Grab that tablet, laptop, or long box, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading. And another weird fifth week this year for New Comic Book Day. But I wanted to start out with a book that I learned about at San Diego Comic-Con 2017. And it's Sword of Ages, number one, from IDW. Created, written, and illustrated by Gabriel Rodriguez. Of course, of Lock and Key fame. Colored by Laverne Kinzierski. Lettered by Robbie Robbins. Now, this is kind of one of those mythical world type of books. And, and it's almost like a modern world meets a mythical kind of world. Because you've got talking animals involved here, you've got weird kind of transportation, but you've also got a very Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle type of thing. And I will say, it follows a character named Avalon in her journey to kind of play both worlds, the world of the animals and the world of man. Now, again, I don't want to spoil these books. I never like to spoil books when I review them. Very, very hard, though, with a brand new series to do that. So what I'll just say is, is some of the stuff that I liked here was Avalon was a very, very likable character no matter which way you went. You could see both sides of her argument, what she wanted to do, how she wanted to live in the world. And what I liked what Rodriguez did in this book is giving me a step-by-step, okay, here's where we are in the story, here's where things started, here's how things evolved, which in a new series, something brand new, is something that you have to give the reader. I actually reviewed a book recently that didn't do that, and that was one of my main criticisms. Like, I don't know where I am, I don't know who I'm supposed to care about and who I'm not, and you've given me no foundation for this. Especially for Avalon's character, there is a legit timeline and foundation for that character, so you you at least are given the opportunity to care about her before you get to the point of, okay, here's where our story is going. So I love that he did that. And you also created a real conflict in there as far as emotional conflict for the reader and for the character. And that, okay, she's got one family over here, but she has to go do something on her own. And you kind of get that. 
Now, I will say it's not a perfect story, though, because there was times where after that initial wave went through and you're, you're finding out, okay, this is where they're going, but you don't really know a whole lot about it yet. You just know that she's going there to do sp something specific and something she feels like she needs to do. And then inevitably, in any kind of quest, right, there's some sort of a tangent because that's just how the trope goes. There's really no other way to do it because... You know, that's just kind of the way these stories go. So there's a little bit of a tangent, and you're not sure why there's a tangent yet. You know that there's a morality question there, so you understand it, but at the same time, you're like, ah, I don't know, is this really necessary? And we were, we're not really going to find out about that until issue two. But from what I've seen so far, I really, really like the characters in this book, and I like the fact that you get a little breakdown of who everybody is, because that's another thing. In this book, we are introduced to a lot of characters in one book, so at times it's hard to keep track of who's where and what's going on a little bit. Not a major criticism for me, though. A lot of characters that I'm sure will be fleshed out in future issues, and there's certainly enough here to like to want to keep going. So I will say that right now, the art is solid, too, by the way. I don't want to gloss over that. The art is very, very good. Of course, we, that shouldn't surprise us from Gabriel Rodriguez anyway. So the art alone and the world that's been created here, the world building is very, very good so far. So this is a pickup for me right now, but I could see this becoming a poll and a series that I would really, really want to read more in the future because of the world building that's going on here. And anytime you're starting off fresh with a first issue, it's very, very difficult, especially with the world that Rodriguez is clearly trying to build here. Playing the long game, not a bad idea, so this is definitely one that I could upgrade to put in my pull box in the future. Going to go to somewhere we haven't gone in a long, long time, and that's Titan Comics. Actually, something from the Hard Crime Files imprint, excuse me, Hard Case Crime imprint, and that's Quarry's War number 1, kind of a detective-ish type story that's written by Max Allen Collins, artwork done by Zeman Kudransky, colors by Guy Major, and lettering by Comicraft. And we actually have two stories here in one, and it kind of rotates back and forth. One of them takes place in July of 1972, and the other in July of 1969. So either way, it's almost like the very Vietnam War era kind of thing, and one of them is actually a Vietnam War type story, and the other is sort of like a, a hitman type story. There's a contract. And Quarry is the main character of the book, as a matter of fact, in both stories here. And working for someone named The Broker. It's almost like the... Do you remember the banker on Deal or No Deal? You know, you could kind of see the banker up there. You knew the banker was pulling the strings kind of thing. But you never actually saw the banker. You had no idea who the banker was. And that's kind of where we are with The Broker right now. You know that they work for The Broker, but you do not know exactly what the broker's deal is and why these contracts are being put out. It's like, I'm given a job to do and I'm going to do it. And that's in both instances, by the way. I will say again, it was kind of weird jumping back and forth from each story. Like you'd get a couple pages from one, then you'd go to another and so on and so forth. But this kind of felt like a of its era crime story. It's almost like if you picked up an old crime novel or an old crime comic this is exactly what you would expect. You know, you find this in a bin at, at, at your local shop or maybe at a, a yard sale or a flea market or something. You pick it up and you're like, huh, this is just like a classic kind of detective type story or war type story. And it's very much drawn that way too. That It's drawn very era appropriate. And a couple things that might surprise you, especially given the era, like, you know, how some of the women are dressed and, and how they act and certain things like that are also something 
that and and the men the way the men act too. This is this even though it is drawn of its era, culturally, I'm not sure I would say it's of the era. I don't know if you would say that that's a miss or not, or if anything, it's like. I don't know, righting or wrong, maybe, I guess you could say. But it's very interesting because everybody is very, all the characters are kind of very sterile in this book. You don't get a whole lot of, oh, I love this character because of this, and I, or I hate this character because of that. It's very even keel. It's very flat line book character-wise. And that was one of the things that kind of kept me drifting in and out on it. I mean, there were certain, certain points where I'm like, okay, I like what they're doing here, but then you can't really get in a groove because you're jumping back and forth. And it seems like these two stories aren't exactly connected either. So, again, it was hard to fall in love with this book. But there were a couple of redeeming parts for Corey. And you don't hate him. But at the same time, you you, you try to, you can't really figure out who he is. Because even in these two stories, it seems like you're, you've got two different ty- kinds of characters. And I know that there's a couple years of se- separation there. But there's no consistency in the character throughout both stories. I didn't think anyway. I mean, it was an enjoyable read. I didn't hate it. This is another pickup for me. And it, and it's not, I mean, it's very different from being a pickup for uh, Sword of Ages because this one could easily become a drop. I could see being bored with this book if it doesn't pick up in the next issue. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on Quarry's War from Titan Comics and see what goes on there. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, plenty of geektainment to get to. My spoiler-filled review of the Crisis on Earth X DC TV crossover is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's the big four-night DC crossover Crisis on Earth X, and it happened this week, so here comes my spoiler-filled review of the crossover. So if you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't gone to the CW app or anything like that to watch it yet, here is my spoiler-filled coverage. So beware of spoilers from here on out. Now, basically the gist is, is that the Nazis of Earth X have decided to get a little bit greedy and come and try and take over Earth One. Now, all while all of that is getting ready to go on, Barry and Iris are supposed to be getting married. So marriages on comic book shows go about as well as they do in pro wrestling. And something always happens. Something always breaks it up. It's never that simple, right? And that was absolutely the case here with the Barry and Iris wedding. So you have the Earth X versions of the heroes coming over. And I will not really get into any more plot than that because that's basically the gist of what's happening. They're trying to take over this Earth. And there's a little bit of a twist in the middle. I will get to that specifically here later on, but I gotta say the Earth X versions of these characters, very, very interesting. I will say I loved Melissa Benoist as Overgirl in kind of that villain role. I mean, I know we've kind of seen her like that before when Kara was infected with the Black Kryptonite and stuff like that. I know we've kind of sort of seen her in this role before, but full-on evil Kara, I really liked it. I'm not sure that it won it on a regular basis, but it just worked, and it, Melissa Benoist is so not that person at all. She's so sweet. So it was it was weird to see her like that. With Oliver, though, with the Führer, of course, he's the Nazi leader. It For some reason, it made sense. I'm, just, I'm not saying that I liked it or hated it. It just made too much sense. It was too easy of a transition. I love Stephen Amell, but as Oliver Queen, that, that it just doesn't seem too far-fetched that that's what he would have been 
over there on Earth X. Um, we didn't really get to see Earth X Barry or anything like that, which kind of bummed me out. So we didn't see Earth X everyone, but seeing like Win from Supergirl being the commander there in that last episode and him wanting to be the general and blow up the thing, the one thing that would be able to bring them home and being a no-nonsense general, I thought was a really interesting dynamic and, and kind of a 180 from his character. Not every character was a 180 of themselves from Earth 1 to Earth X. There were some obvious differences, especially Captain Cold and man. If this is how Wentworth Miller is going to go out as Captain Cold, I like this. This is a very different version of Captain Cold. And another thing I noticed, did you know that they write it, They write a lot of wrongs in this, didn't they? Or I would say wrongs in air quotes, where they kind of gave you exactly what you wanted back then in this crossover, if even it was, if it was for a short time. Like, of course, Captain Cold getting the comic-accurate costume with the full-on with the glasses and stuff like that. How about this one, though? This was my favorite. Prometheus, the big reveal for Prometheus, Prometheus on Earth X was Tommy Merlin. I love that. I'm like, that's what was that not what I talked about on the show that it should be Tommy or something like that. Yes, that that's kind of what I wanted. I certainly was not disappointed with Josh Sagara, though. That could not have worked out better. You made the right choice. Everyone over at Warner Brothers and DC and CW, that was the right choice. Don't get me wrong. But giving the fans that satisfaction of having Tommy be Prometheus in that moment. It was like, oh, by the way, here you go. This this is what I know you wanted, so go ahead and have this. And then my geek out moment, because I love this character, and I'm one of the few people that really does, Red Tornado. I really wanted it to work out on Supergirl when they brought him in the first time, and then they went and blew him up way too soon. Well, in the Crisis on Earth X crossover, we get Red Tornado again. This time we get a legit badass Red Tornado, and I love that. Thank you so much for writing that wrong because he was the weapon that was going to go destroy that base where everything was, where the big weapon for the Earth Xers were, for the Nazis. That was where their big weapon was, and that's where their portal was, and that's how they were going to transport it to Earth-1 and destroy everything. He was the weapon that the Resistance was going to use to blow that up, and of course, you know, Barry had to stop it with Ray, and I'll get to Ray here in a second as well. So I loved that they gave us that. If nothing else in this crossover... And, and there were a lot of other good things, too. But you you did some things that fans were clamoring for, and you gave us... And it didn't feel like fan service, either. That was the thing. It's not like you did it because it was fan service. You did it because, A, it made sense, and, B, you had the opportunity to do it. So I'm glad that they waited to do that in a sort of crossover with a different Earth type of atmosphere. One thing that kind of was frustrating was the... And I don't want to say the relationship angle was frustrating, necessarily. But there were times where, especially with the... Oliver and Felicity relationship, it almost like diverted from the main story. And I know that that's something you've got to deal with and you've got to put some realism into this, but it's almost like Oliver and Felicity were trying to steal Barry and Iris's thunder at one point, especially at the end where they're getting married and they go, oh, by the way, can we get married too? Just, you know, since we're all here, I'm like thunder being stolen right there. there there's Felicity and Oliver stealing Barry and Iris's thunder again, but there's just such a purity about Barry and Iris and such a dysfunction when it comes to Oliver and Felicity. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And not everybody's love is the same. And I don't necessarily want to write a poem here or anything. But at the same time, there were points where when they were dealing with the relationship drama, I'm like, aren't we in the middle of, you know, Nazis trying to invade the world? And you guys haven't even come close to beating this group once already. 
And we're going to divert and deal with this now. Okay, so this is what we're doing. So that was a little bit frustrating. Other than that, I thought they hit a lot of good points here. I thought that the little twist about how one of the reasons they came to Earth-1 in the first place was because Overgirl, of course, the evil version of Supergirl, is dying, and they need Supergirl's heart to transport into Overgirl to help her live, and then we find out that Overgirl and, and Oliver, the Fuhrer, they're together, and it's like, whoa, so they're a couple over there. I thought that that was a really interesting twist as well, and it was weird at the same time because you don't see them together and you don't you obviously don't have that dynamic on the show at any point when they've been on the same show. So that was very weird. And I think that's the point of these crossovers, especially with alternate Earths. You're going to find stuff that's weird. But damn it, Eobard Thawne just won't die. And it's just like the comics, too. This, If, if there's one thing in the show that's comic accurate, is that Eobard Thawne will always come back. And I love the line that Barry had. At one point during the crossover, I can't remember which night it was, where he's like, I'm never going to be rid of him. It was something to that effect. I will, I've, I will never be rid of him. And even Thawne says, you've killed me so many times, now I have you. Which is kind of the classic villain line, right? Oh, well, now it's going to be different, and now I have you. And he absolutely, positively, completely did not. And the other thing that I liked was, how about Alex and Sarah hooking up? Which you kind of saw the writing on the wall. During the wedding, especially with everything that Alex is going through, and we know Sarah's relationship status and everything that's going on with her, to get them to hook up, and then it was awkward after the fact, I thought was interesting, but then they rounded it out nicely at the end. You know, I again, I'm not going to go into every little bit here, and were, were there a few things that say, that made me go, really? Because you could just do this, this, and this, and it might be over. Of course it was, but you know what this was? This was fun, and it made sense. It had an interesting story. The villains were absolutely up to par and made me think that maybe something really bad is going to happen. And guess what? That's exactly what we got in the final episode. Martin Stein dying in that final episode ripped me to shreds. I knew he was leaving the show, but you kind of figured they would just write him out, right? They'd write him out, write him off into the sunset with his kids with his kid and his grandkid and his wife, and he had to get to go live the happy life, right? And maybe we'd see him at some point. No, no, no. They decided not to go that route. As a matter of fact, they decided to just rip him out of our lives completely. Now, they did find a way to separate him from Jax so Jax could live. I thought that was a nice father-son moment between them. But seeing Martin Stein die and knowing that he won't be back unless we get like a weird other Earth version of him, it's just going to be, it, it adds another dynamic to Legends of Tomorrow. That I think is going to be very, very interesting because now you have the broken team dynamic to a certain point and it gives Jax's character a lot of depth. So where they're going to go with that from here, I think will be interesting. We knew this was coming, that he was going to be leaving the show, but we didn't know how. So again, I just wanted to basically point out what I liked and didn't like from this crossover. There were a couple of moments where I was where I had my really moment. But there were just so, there were just so many fun interactions. These characters, as a group, just play off of each other so so well. They made it fun. They made it interesting. A lot of great action. A lot of great interactions with characters we don't get to see a lot. And that's the point of these crossovers. I I think so. I loved it. Can't wait to see what they've got up their up their sleeves for next year. That's my review of Crisis on Earth X. Up next, This Week in Geektainment continues with my spoiler-filled review of the first three episodes of Marvel's Runaways, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
This is Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This Week in Geektainment continues now with my spoiler-filled review, at least of the first few episodes, of Marvel's Runaways on Hulu. That's right, Marvel finally on Hulu. And I gotta tell you, this an Eisner Award-winning comic book by Brian K. Vaughn. I'll be honest, though. Haven't read the comic. I'm just gonna put that out there right now, so I'm just gonna be judging the show on its merits and not how closely it is related to the comic. I've talked to a couple of people that have, though, and they said that it's pretty darn close, so I will I'll definitely take their word for it. In case you don't know what Runaways is about, it's about a group of teenagers who pr- basically find out that their parents are up to something shady or they're evil, however you want to put it, and they sort of decide to band together to try and stop them and try and just kind of figure out life in general. And what i got to say is I love the way that they didn't necessarily go into what each individual kid was doing, but they said, okay, here's who this character is, here's who their parents are, and here's where the, what their problem is in life. Because all of them have their own separate problems, like, like Carolina Dean, who's played by Virginia Garner. Her mother is basically the head of this cultish-type church, and she is kind of seen as the brainwashed kid by everyone in school. And then you've got Nico, who's played by Lakira Okano, and her sister, something happened to her sister, so she's dealing with that. And then you've got Alex, Alex Wilder, who's played by Renzi Feliz, and they were, he was a couple with Nico, and they had a falling out, so there's his problem. Now, I'm not going to go into each and every individual character here, but you kind of get the gist, is that everybody has their own set of problems, and everybody has their reasons that they were a group at one point. I mean, remember, their parents would get together for this pride thing, this pride meeting, and they would make this sacrifice, as it were. Again, spoiler filled, by the way. They would make this sacrifice, and it's never really worked out. So, But the kids didn't know that, and the kids would always get together. They would have a good time. They were a group, and they sort of drifted apart, and it's because Nico's sister, Amy, something happened to her, and the group just kind of drifted apart after that. And then you see them slowly decide to come back together, especially almost out of necessity with what's happening with their parents. But what I love about the show is not to get too deep into every little thing that happens because we're not really doing that. But what I love that they do here is that they make it that uneasiness. And they, they, they t- kind of tell you why. And there's a very real world thing that comes in here about how they're just not comfortable around with each other anymore. And the group drifted apart. Everybody's got their own reasons for thinking that it did or the the reasons that they're pointing fingers at certain others in the group. But then when it starts to become familiar again, it's almost like you see that transition start to happen. It's like, oh, you remember what the good times were like or remember what it was like when we were actually friends sort of thing. So the group dynamic that they have here, I think it's really, really interesting, not just between certain pairs in the group. But the group in general, and I think that that's one of the things that's going to carry the show. Of course, only the first three episodes are available right now. But I think that's one of the things that's really going to carry the show going forward is the group of kids and their dynamic and how well they work together. And the parents were basically all rich, by the way. And all of them, of course, also have their own little role. The parents are all kind of weird and creepy in their own way. And I I mean, especially when you look at the Deans, that one's kind of obvious. The Stein family, though, and and that whole, you know, scientist angle is very, very weird. There's something happening, though, between two of the parents. You can tell they don't make it obvious between the Minoru family 
and the Stein family, they don't make it completely obvious, but you know that it's there kind of thing. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out in the coming episodes. And you kind of know that the end game, we, we see that, again, if you haven't read the comic, is that they seem to be trying to bring the Elder Stein back to life somehow, or breathe life back into him for whatever reason that I'm sure we'll find out. So that is the gist of the whole show. But the dynamics are good. There's not really a whole lot of action. And in anything like this, anytime you have a comic book addict to adaptation, you see Marvel attached, you're expecting a lot of action. What we're getting is more of like a, almost a Goonies type of mystery here, but with this horrific event that is witnessed by these children, by their parents. So there's a difference there. And I love that that's kind of the vibe that we're getting. So we're not necessarily getting action. You're getting intrigue and story. And when something like this doesn't have a lot of action to keep your attention, the story better be really, really good. And it's like, okay, are they going to get caught? And if they are, how are they going to get caught? And then what do they do once the parents find out that they know sort of thing? So it's almost like an edge-of-your-seat type of deal, but in a slow burn. And I like that they're doing it that way. So... I was actually not expecting to like this show as much as I did. While I was looking forward to it, and I was looking forward to a Brian K. Vaughn story finally being adapted for TV, I wasn't really sure how this was going to go on Hulu. But the, the cast seems like they put together really, really well, both with the parents and with the kids. And, and it seems like they know that they have something, and they have confidence enough in the story that they can go the slow route and still keep everybody interested. And releasing it th like three episodes at a time, it's frustrating because you want to binge it all the way. But at the same time, leave them wanting more, right? And I'm a big believer in that. I think that that's something that's not really done enough. Leave them wanting more. And I think that that's why Marvel decided to go this route with Hulu. So I'm looking forward to more Marvel's Runaways on Hulu. Again, didn't want to really dig in too much into the plot and what's going on. I don't think it's really fair to rate it either. In the first few episodes just suffice to, suffice to say that I'm definitely hooked and can't wait for the rest. That's going to do it for this week in Geek Tame. up next, let's get to a little bit of nerd news, an abbreviated version next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Addy Shankar and I'm on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to slide on our Infinity Gauntlet because it's time for nerd news. And kind of an abbreviated nerd news this week because coming off of Thanksgiving, there wasn't much. But we did finally get a look at a trailer for Avengers Infinity War. And yeah, you, you see the trailer and it's all the characters that you love from all the Marvel movies. And you could do the whole, oh I, oh, I remember him. And oh, remember what happened to him? And oh, look at Captain America's beard. And oh, it doesn't look good for Tony Stark. And ooh, Spidey sense. He's got the arms, the, the, the hair standing up on his arms and stuff like that for Spider-Man. But at the end of the day, it's exciting that we're getting this, okay? It's exciting that all these characters are coming together. I would never say that it's not... I'm very much looking forward to seeing exactly how this is all going to come together and just seeing all these characters fighting together as one towards one goal against Thanos. But at the end of the day, when I was done with the trailer, instead of breaking the internet, I thought, eh, okay. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was all right. It didn't blow me away. Seeing the character, it, it, as far as, you know, your childhood screaming and being happy and seeing all these characters together on the screen and seeing something like this being adapted, okay, yes, that was very, very exciting. But at the same time, can we not act like this was the be-all, end-all of movie trailers and, and that this is just going to automatically be the greatest thing you've ever seen in your entire life? 
I mean, because there wasn't really a whole lot there. You get introduced, you could just tell that things aren't going exactly as planned for the heroes. They know there's a huge threat coming. You're not exactly sure what it is. Well, some of the characters clearly know who it is. Like the Guardians are going to know, but not everybody else is going to know. And then when you see Thanos for the first time, and I'm sure Josh Brolin's going to do a great job, and I wasn't blown away by the look. As a matter of fact, it almost looked like Thanos was walking into a bar, not walking into Earth to conquer it. And, and, and I know that that's a cheap criticism. I really, really do. And it's not that he looked bad. It just didn't seem like that just all present, like I am coming here to destroy the world kind of thing. And yeah, there were a couple scenes in the trailer where you see him attacking Vision and ripping the stone out of his head and stuff like that. And All right, I'll give you that. Okay, there were a couple of very cool moments in this. And then when you see Thor meeting the Guardians at the end, you're like, after Ragnarok, that's perfect. Can't wait to see what that interaction is going to be like. And there are a whole lot of things to look forward to. You know, Black Panther and sort of the rise of Captain America once again. And everybody just putting aside their differences to fight the war that needs to be fought against Thanos. But this did not leave me wowed. But I really didn't expect to be wowed by a first trailer. And you know, one of our main criticisms on this show, and it's not just for me, I've heard others say this as well, is that trailers are giving away a lot these days. You know, maybe we're finally going to leave something to the imagination here. Maybe that's what this trailer is doing. It's like, okay, we're going to show you a whole bunch of the characters that you love. We're going to show you Thanos. We're going to show you a couple of little things, tease you on a couple of things, and that's all we're going to leave you with. I mean, it was two and a half minutes. How much can you really be psyched or not psyched about something in two and a half minutes, really? I mean, so I understand why everybody loves this and why everybody's really stoked about this, but at the same time, I'm cooling my jets here only because... Nothing that I saw made me go, whoa, I can't believe they're going to do that, or I can't believe they teased that. Man, I can't wait to see that on screen. I already can't wait to see this movie anyway. You don't really need to hype this for me. I'm really excited about this. So that's why I guess the trailer was kind of just a ho-hum trailer for me. But then you get this news that came out right around the same time, and it was Kevin Feige who was actually speaking with Vanity Fair and saying that after being 22 movies in... After Avengers Infinity War, there are 20 movies on the docket that are completely different from anything that's come before intentionally. And that is the quote from the interview with Vanity Fair when he was doing press for Avengers Infinity War. Now, we already know we have Black Panther coming, Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp in that order. So Ant-Man and the Wasp would be the first movie after Infinity War. So if you've got 20 lined up after that, then you put the thinking cap on now, right? Because you well, you know that we're going to have another Doctor Strange. You know there's going to be another Guardians of the Galaxy. And James Gunn has said in other interviews that that's really going to be the turning point for the Marvel MCU is that Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to set up a lot of stuff. But, I mean, thinking beyond that, does that mean we are going to get the Nick Fury movie? Are we going to get a Black Widow movie? Who dies in Avengers Infinity War? And is it going to be Captain America? Because if it is... Does Bucky take the cap mantle? And does that mean we're finally going to get to see Sebastian Stan in his own Captain America movie? I actually think Marvel has a lot more faith in Vision than you would think. 
especially after how well the Vision comics have been done by Tom King and how people have kind of embraced that character a little bit more and loved that character. I think it's not out of the realm of possibility to see a Vision and Scarlet Witch movie. Although, you know, things didn't look very good for Vision in the Avengers Infinity War trailer. So maybe he's one of the ones that does not survive in this. But then you also have to consider that, is the Fox deal going to get done? Because if the Fox deal gets done, it's rumored to be starting up again between Disney and 21st Century Fox. If that gets done, then you bring in the whole Deadpool and you bring in Fantastic Four and all that. I don't know that you can count on those, though. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure that Faggy's even talking about that. Or maybe even not Sp- Spider-Man movies either, because, of course, you've got Spider-Man to consider as well. But that doesn't seem like a long-term deal. So how much are you really counting on this going forward? I know that fans are saying, please let one of them be a Hulk movie. But that's apparently overly complicated. Not sure that's ever what we're ever really going to get. And maybe we will get new characters. Maybe that's what Marvel's going to do. Marvel will roll the dice and actually put new characters in or put new people in the suits. Maybe we're going to get a different Iron Man. We'll get a different Captain America. Maybe even we'll get a different Thor. I don't know exactly. But only time will tell. But saying that there are 20 movies already planned, maybe they're not going to go with the connected universe anymore. Maybe they've decided after Infinity War... That's it. We're going to have some standalones. We're going to let some of these stories breathe on their own and not connect absolutely everything. And I don't think we're ending Avengers movies at all. Not at all. But, I mean, maybe we'll see an Avengers Assemble type movie where it's a different group of Avengers. I don't think that's totally out of the realm of possibility. We know that the shows like Daredevil are leaving Netflix. Maybe they decide to take one of those or a couple of those, and try that on the big screen. Don't tell me Daredevil couldn't work on the big screen. I know you don't really want to do that, because in a bubble, they work exactly the way they're supposed to on TV, but that doesn't mean you couldn't do a movie with one of those if you wanted to. I'm just saying, there are options here. I'm not sure how deep we'll get character-wise, if we're going to get deep-cut character movies, which I don't really think we are. I mean... That's a gamble. It just doesn't seem like Marvel wants to take, and I can't say that I really blame them on that, but I do think that maybe we'll get some team-up movies, we'll get some solo movies, and hopefully they let some of these characters, especially like Doctor Strange, hopefully they let those expand on their own, let them be their own thing, and maybe you even break up the Guardians. I don't know. That's also an option as well. You break up the Guardians, maybe you try to give one of them a solo movie or or a team-up movie and see what happens there. As far as Star Wars goes, there are plans after Episode 9, but they may not include Daisy Ridley because Daisy Ridley said in an interview with Rolling Stone recently that after Episode 9, she's done playing Rey. She said she does not want to play Rey anymore, which she was asked about. She said, and I quote, For me, I didn't really know what I was signing on to. I hadn't read the script, but from what I could tell, it was really nice people involved. So I was just like, Awesome. Now I think I'm even luckier than I knew to be part of something that feels like coming home now. So they pressed her on it. And she doesn't seem like she's coming back after this. So now to me, that doesn't necessarily mean that Ray dies or anything like that in the final movie. And I know that Kathleen Kennedy has said, and even Bob Iger in the past has said, look, there's going to be a big focus on Finn and Poe and Ray in the future. Don't be surprised if you see them in some of these new movies. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that's something they have to do. 
Plans change. And I'm sure that there are plenty of Star Wars stories that can be told. They're going to try and end the Skywalker saga after Episode Nine, And I think that I've gone on record a couple times saying, I don't think that that's a bad idea either. So if you think about it, we don't necessarily need Rey to be part of these movies going forward. But at the same time, it's kind of disappointing to just let go of that character that I have loved in at least the first movie. And it looks like she's going to be a big part of the second one. And I'm sure the third one. I just, it would be sad to see her go, and it would be weird to see her recast. But I think that that's probably what they'll end up having to do, is to recast Rey. I mean, you could always put her on a, under a helmet, too. I'm not saying that Rey is going to be the next female Darth Vader or anything like that. But if you had to put her under a helmet because something happens to her and she needs a helmet to breathe or something, that would certainly solve that problem, wouldn't it? Because then you could get the female James Earl Jones to voice Ray for in the future, and you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore, would you? So that's always an option. I just hope it's not something that they force just to keep it from being Daisy Ridley. You know what I mean? Like, don't kill her off just because Daisy Ridley doesn't want to be involved anymore. And you know what? Daisy Ridley can change her mind. Because, you know, I'm not saying that Daisy Ridley does things for money, but you dump enough money in front of somebody, and that could change a lot of minds. Or, you know, if the script is right, she didn't even read the script. When she signed up for this, she said. And how lucky is that, that she didn't have to read the script to sign up for it? I mean, it's Star Wars. You don't need to read the script, right? If somebody asks you to be part of Star Wars, you do it, regardless of what the script says. So, there are a lot of minds that can be changed between now and December of 2019 and beyond when they do more of these movies. I just hope that we find a way to continue Ray somehow in this story, and I know... That somebody, I'm, I'm glad that she said something now because now they can work on it and figure it out and maybe change a few things that need to be changed given this news. Speaking of which, that's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, we'll talk to Patrick Fischler, who's going to be playing Smoothie on Sci-Fi's Happy. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Emily Andrus. I'm the showrunner and executive producer of Wine on Earth TV series, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One show that's looked really, really funky and we're excited about it is Happy on Sci-Fi, of course, the adaptation from the Grant Morrison story. We just happen to have Smoothie himself with us this week. It's Patrick Fischler. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing very well, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, your colleague Christopher Maloney told Entertainment Weekly not too long ago that when he read Happy, he thought that, quote, this is either going to be awesome or it's not going to work. I thought I want to go all in. So what was your first thought when you read it? Ah, uh, he stole the words right out of my mouth. I would say I had a very similar experience. I read it and thought, I have never read anything like this. This is either going to be absolutely bonkers amazing or be a complete disaster. And luckily, having seen the first two episodes and shot eight of them, I can tell you that... Uh, it's pretty friggin' great. Now, this is kind of your first recurring role in a comic book adaptation, and I'm sure you know how much fans really love that source material, so do you feel like there's a balance between honoring that and finding a way to keep even diehard fans guessing? Oh, absolutely. Yes, and I can tell you we did both. And Grant, who wrote the comic book, who's a genius, it was so happy with so much of what we've done. And a lot of the comic book is there, the characters, we honor it, and at the same time, we blow the world up and add so many things that people aren't going to expect. And I will say this, it's very much, for me, I watch a lot of TV, and this 
is one of the only times I've seen a comic book go onto television and it looks like a comic book. When someone gets hit and punched in the face or shot, their blood splatters like a comic book. And that's the thing from the product I've seen so far, one of the things I'm most excited about. I also I also watch a lot of TV, obviously. So as someone else who watches a lot of TV, I, I kind of felt like there's nothing else like this out there. Do you kind of get the same impression? Completely. And it's so hard now because there's, you know, 150 channels and streaming services and there's a gazillion television shows. So you have to be something different to break out. And what I like is we're not just doing something different for different sake. Grant wrote an incredible piece and Brian Taylor, who directed the Crank movies, has directed a bonkers show and put everything into it. And we have a great group of actors. And I, I will tell you that the thing I keep telling all of my friends and my family and everybody is it, it, the one thing you have to say for the show is there's nothing like it on TV. And that is hard to say nowadays. And either you're going to love it or you're going to walk away being like, what the hell was that? <laughs> uh, for sure. I mean, that is just a fact. There's no one who's going to watch this and be like, oh, that was cute, or oh, that was good. It, it's not going to have that effect on people, because it really is. It's unlike anything that's out there, and uh, I, I love that. I, I, I love that so much. <laughs> so let's talk about your character for a second. Let's talk about Smoothie. I want to actually take okay. the name literally. What would you say that your character is a mix of? What is my character a mix of? God, that's a great question. My character is a mix of, I, 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 oh, you've got me, and no one ever gets me. I don't know. I haven't even thought about that. He's, he's an original. I love that you're saying take the name. You will find out, by the way, um, by the end, uh, why he's called Smoothie. Uh, what is he a mix of? Hey, I don't know. He's his own original being, honestly. I, I've never played anyone like this guy. I, I've never read anyone like this guy. And what's super fun about it is Brian has let me kind of bring myself into it. And if you read the comics, there's not an immense amount to grab onto about Smoothie in there. It's pretty simple. You know, he's, a, he's got a job to do, and he does it. But, boy, we blow that up in here. So I, I don't know any good answer to give you to that, sadly, that will appease you. But um, I can tell you that he is a, a man of his own, and he, he will uh, – he will do things throughout these eight episodes that will have people kind of <laughs> drop in whatever they're eating on the floor. Let me tell you, it's, it's pretty shocking. Well, let's take that a step further. Is this the craziest character you've ever played? Oh, by far. I mean, it's not even close. I can't even, I can't even begin to think of anything <laughs> that, <laughs> as I got scripts. I mean, truly. And, I've, and it's not like I've done, you know, only CSI. I mean, I've done some crazy stuff. But... Nothing has been... That's so funny, by the way. My CSI was actually the craziest CSI I think there ever was. It was the one with the furries that, like... Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, I'm using that as a joke of what's not crazy, (laughs) and that was so crazy. But anyways, um, as I got scripts, I I, I would, you know, call Brian, the the creator, or he'd he'd usually warn me of what was coming. But there's... I've never done anything like this. This guy is... um, I had to just put my trust into everybody involved, which I did, and he is he is uh, an original original character. I will say that. Talking to Patrick Fishler, who plays Smoothie on Happy, which is going to premiere on Sci Fi Wednesday, December the sixth. Now, Patrick, we're not going to enter spoiler territory here, obviously, but we don't no. want to have to wait long to see Smoothie. So, how much did you enjoy your character's interactions with Christopher Maloney's character in the first episode? Oh, uh, boy. Uh, I loved it so much. It's one of the highlights, honestly. I, <laughs> I love working with Chris, and all we like to do is, you know, kind of insult each other and pretend we don't like each other. <laughs> um, 
that's the game we play. But he is an incredible actor. And I would say the second I showed up, I met him uh, at doing the pilot, and right away I knew, oh, this is a guy that we can play. And he's, I can sort of go up one and he'll top me and I'll top him. And that's what we did throughout that pilot and continue to do throughout the series. I mean, Smoothie and Sachs don't like each other, but yet have a very special relationship. Um, and it was, it's just a pleasure to work with Chris. He's so incredibly talented. I've heard when I've done interviews for shows like this in the past that, that when, when you find a good show, you find that there are people that, even if they're not in the scene, they're watching the stuff that's being shot. Is that kind of your experience on the set? Wait, that's so weird because that's not my experience ever, and it was totally my experience here. I, I hate going to set when I'm not shooting. I, I, I don't enjoy it. And Lily, who plays Mary, um, the cop on the show, was loving to go to set. And I, I, I was just like, why are we, I don't want to do this. And we did it, I'd say I did it three or four times, which is a lot, since we only did eight episodes. And it's absolutely something all of the actors did. And there were, you know, there were six of us, and we just would always show up for different things just to see, oh, I got to see that. You know, when we'd read it in the script, we'd want to go see it shot. And that really doesn't happen a lot, in my experience. I feel like when people are off work, they're off work. Mm -hmm. Part of it was because we were shooting in New York, you know, um, and I live in L.A., so uh, it was, we were a little family. But, yes, we absolutely would do that throughout the shoot. Now, Patrick, kind of waking up from anything and seeing a flying blue unicorn would be pretty crazy. So how would, how would you feel if you woke up to see Happy, and did you actually have an imaginary friend growing up? That's funny. I would absolutely think I took too much of something if I woke up and saw any kind of imaginary friend in my life right now. But it would kind of be awesome and awful at the same time. And when I was a kid, I did not have an imaginary friend. I was, I was not a person that had that. I had the television. The television was my imaginary. I grew up in front of a TV from a very, very young age. And so I think those characters on television on all of the shows I watched, became my friends. That sounds so sad and depressing, but it was true. <laughs> <laughs> well, not at all, because I, I kind of had the same. I kind of had the same experience a little bit. So, what would you say from back then? What are some of the the shows or characters that might have inspired you today? Oh my god! Now they didn't inspire me today, but because I, I laugh at sort of the TV I grew up with. It's a lot of it is really awful. Oh sure, and yeah. I think, and I think wouldn't hold up at all. I mean, I was obsessed. I could name. Like 12, we were obsessed with Love Boat. I was obsessed with Fantasy Island, which I still think could be remounted in a cool way. I was obsessed with uh, Three's Company, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, I, you know, my family, we'd all, the only show, the, sorry, the only shows we'd watch together were all those sort of 80s primetime soaps like mm -hmm. Dynasty and Dallas. That was like our family time we'd get together. Otherwise, we would all not watch stuff together. Um, I think the only thing that holds up, there was a show called Soap. I remember Soap. I, yeah. Soap was brilliant, and I showed it. My wife and I went back recently and watched some of them. We were like, this this was before its time. But none of it ultimately inspired me as an actor, but it must have, because I just, you know, I watched everything. And I still do. I, I watch so much TV. Now, as dark as this show is at times, there are also some funny moments as well. How important do you feel like it is in a show like this to have something like that? I think it's incredibly important. I, I think... There's no shows I like that are just one thing. And I think if this show was just dark all the time, it would be overwhelming and not fun to watch. And I think that's what's great about this show is not only is it dark, it's funny, and it's 
touching, and there is a heart there. And I think any good art has all of that. And of course, you can create something that, that, that's just one thing, and it can be you know, absolutely brilliant. But most great stuff, if you were to break it down, has, has more than one element to it. Um, and I think anything of one kind just can become a little bit overwhelming, a little much. Actually, from my experience in watching watching it too, there are so many characters with I've never seen so many characters with multiple levels in one show at the same time without it feel like it feeling like it's crammed in. Did you kind of feel the same way? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, there's there's so much. This show is so much more than what you think it is, and that's what's so funny. And I think what Sci-Fi did a great job with the trailer. I think the trailer is pretty outstanding, but it doesn't. It's not even the half of it. Right. If that if that makes sense, and I really I really think with all of the characters, as we got scripts, new doors would open to them in a way that you were surprised by, and I think it's all led by Chris and the character of Nick Sachs, and Nick is is an incredible character, and it's just it's sort of a little bit of everything Chris has done so well in his career because Chris is funny and has recently gotten a chance to show how funny he is mm-hmm. in the last years with like Wet Hot American Summer, you know, all of that. And, he, he, it brings a little of his law and order stabler, the, you know, solid cop, and then a little bit of sort of the really disturbing Oz character, you know, of oh, like yeah. just a guy who's gone wrong. And there's, it's just everything he does well, he brings into this. I mean, he leads the charge with this show. But I think the writers and Brian and, and, and Patrick McManus have created characters that are not one-dimensional, even in the least. Before I let you go, Patrick, I wanted to ask you, living in the social media age as we are, you know that you can expect some instant reactions from fans when the show premieres on December the 6th. So after seeing Smoothie for the first time, what do you think those reactions will be like? Uh, After the pilot, I think people will think he's kind of funny and scary and crazy. And I think the reaction will be pretty um, instantaneous and fun. But all I can tell you is... By the end, I'm scared of the gifts, if that makes sense. <laughs> that absolutely uh, makes sense. Having seen it, yes. Yeah, I'm I mean, scared that's too. Just the, that's just the beginning. I mean, the gifts from episode one are going to be huge, but as it goes on throughout, not just for Smoothie, but for all of us, but if speaking for myself, I'm like, I, that's what I keep sort of turning to my wife. I'm like, oh my God, what is going to happen? <laughs> um, and yes, I think, I think the reaction is going to be pretty um, insane. Well, whether you've seen, whether you've read the book or not, you've definitely got to check out Happy when it premieres on Sci-Fi Wednesday, December the 6th. You're going to be searching for this to watch it again online at sci-fi.com, too. I can guarantee you that. Patrick Fischler, it's Smoothie. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Everybody watch Happy. Go. See Happy. Guys, I'll be honest. I cannot wait for you to see Happy on Sci-Fi on December the 6th at 10 p.m. Honestly... It is one of the craziest and maybe the most unique show on TV right now that you will ever see. It's You're either going to love it or you hate it. Patrick is exactly right. It's one of those shows where you're going to love it or you're going to think it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever, ever seen in your life. And for me, it's, it's the former because I'll be honest, I loved every second of it. I've gotten to see the first couple of episodes and... I was just glued. I wasn't looking at my phone. I wasn't looking away. I was glued to Happy on Sci-Fi. And thanks so much to Patrick Fischler for talking to us about Smoothie on Happy, which is going to be on Sci-Fi again December the 6th on Sci-Fi at 10 p.m. You're definitely not going to want to miss it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Thanks so much for hanging through yet another, you know, sick-filled week for me. You can always find out more about our other shows 
on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. That's where you can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash downandnerdy and at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.